Hi, I'm Louisa Boa-Taylor, and this is Future Food, where food trends and new technologies converge. There is a systemic change occurring in our food system. In this podcast, we speak to entrepreneurs, investors, chefs, farmers, and others defining that future. In this episode, I speak to Chris Bomgars, who is the founder of Every Pig, a first-of-its-kind pig health and management tool that allows pig owners to oversee their entire operation and communicate with their caregivers and veterinarians in real time. Chris has worked in and around the pork industry for many years, including owning some pork facilities with his veterinarian father, where he saw firsthand how the information about pigs' health was being handled in these operations. And he wanted to do something about it, particularly bearing in mind how consumer demands for more information about their food were starting to influence the industry. It's a really interesting conversation about how some conservatism within the industry provides a bit of a challenge for technological adoption. And I can say personally from covering this industry that the pork industry certainly lags other parts of the agriculture sector overall. And of course, we cover the influx of meat alternative startups, particularly as this year has been quite a big one for alternative pork. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. So thank you so much, Chris, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Where are you calling from and what did you have for breakfast today? Um, so I live in Miami, Florida, uh, and for breakfast this morning, I had my typical fried eggs, uh, fresh squeezed grapefruit, two cups of coffee and some steel cut oats. Oh, wow. That's a lot. So you have eggs and steel <laughs> coats. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm big on breakfast. I love breakfast. I also had, um, porridge as we call it in the UK or oatmeal. As it is over here, I had that for breakfast today. Always sets me up. Yeah. So yeah, how... me too. That and a little bit of coffee. I can't do without coffee. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and so how would you describe your food preferences generally? I presume that you do eat pork? That's a fair assumption. I do eat pork, but probably not more than your average U.S. Uh, consumer. Here in Miami, we're pretty fortunate that we've got a really diverse set of uh, restaurants to choose from. So I think diverse is the word I would use. Um, we've got a lot of Central and South American foods here. Um, we've got quite a bit of fresh fruit, given our location. And um, I'm, I'm real heavy on kale smoothies. That's a big part of my diet. So I think I've got a, a pretty nice variety, and, and pork is definitely a part of that on occasion. Would you describe yourself as a flexitarian? <laughs> I don't know how flexitarians describe themselves. Can you, can you define <laughs> it for me? Well, it's probably, I think it's someone who is reducing their meat consumption. So, so at some meals, they will eat like a vegetarian or a vegan. Yeah, I think for me, I don't, I don't really think of it like reducing meat consumption. I kind of every year try to adjust my diet for my body and what makes me feel good. Um, but definitely reducing processed foods and um, staying away from fast food and, and junk food is a big part of that. Right. I mean, there's so much discussion and media about replacing meat in the diet that I think people forget that we still have, and for many years to come will have, uh, a pretty booming meat market across the world with its own challenges that mustn't be forgotten. What are the biggest challenges facing the meat industry today? Good question. So 
Uh, I completely agree with that. I think there's going to be a meat industry around for a long time. And um, as you know, that's a bit of my background um, is comes from that uh, inside of pork production before I started creating every pig. And we learned a lot about the challenges of pork production during the time. Consolidation in the industry in the United States is a, a real threat. Smaller producers, uh, pork producers especially, are having a real difficult time staying in business for a number of reasons. Some of those are market volatility. I'm sure you're uh, keen on the trade agreement um, with China and, and those negotiations and, and how that's been so tough on markets, especially smaller producers that may not have the balance sheets to withstand that market volatility. Um, these smaller producers also are not usually getting paid the same amount for their finished product at a packing plant as larger producers are. I, I remember um, probably close to six or seven years ago now, while I was still in the production business, when we had a packing plant tell us that they really weren't interested in talking with customers that were raising less than a million pigs a year. And I kind of thought to myself at that time, wow, you know, there, there aren't that many of us companies um, that are raising that amount of pigs. What does that mean for the rest of the business? So. Um, consolidation, it's definitely um, something that's a real threat. Um, you could also look at animal rights activists, as they're calling themselves, and my understanding is in the UK and in Ireland especially, they're, they're starting to uh, adopt new techniques that are um, pretty scary, um, breaking into farms and things like that. And I think that that's a fear that's definitely in the minds of American producers moving forward as well. But um, if my numbers aren't off, I think there's still around somewhere around 60,000 U.S. pork producers um, producing over $23 billion a year in, in gross economic output. So I do believe it's an industry that's going to be around for quite a while, even if um, they could be increasingly reliant on export markets um, to move their product to. So what type of production were you working with? Was it a smaller producer or one of the large ones? Well, just a little about my background. I, I didn't grow up in Miami. I grew up in, in the heart of pig country in northwest Iowa in a small town called Orange City. And um, Orange City has about 6,000 people in it, and the surrounding the county it lies in has about 1.5 million pigs. And my dad was a, a mixed practice veterinarian, so small and large animal veterinarians, so a lot of my childhood memories were running out to the farm with him and vaccinating pigs and cattle and, and loading pigs for market and doing all that stuff that I didn't exactly love at the time. Um, but about 15 years ago, as a veterinarian, he started to notice his customers were really having a difficult time staying in, in business um, if they were raising a small amount of pigs for a lot of the reasons that, that I mentioned earlier. And so he started um, owning pigs with them and negotiating with the packers for better rates on their marketing contracts um, and also negotiating input costs like feed a little more efficiently because they were doing it at scale. And in 2008, I, I saw the business model my dad started, um, which was a very profitable model, although he was doing all this himself uh, as a one-man shop. And I, I said, Dad, you got a great business started. Let me help you grow this. And so... I worked with him um, joining as a first employee and, and really focusing on scaling the company for a little over a decade. 
and we had a lot of success. So we were owning and raising. Um, we started at about 30,000 pigs a year. And by the time I left, we were owning and raising over a million and a half pigs a year on over 350 farms. So I learned a lot about the industry and the industry's challenges um, during that process. And were most of those farms the indoor intensive type farms? Yeah, I think something over 90% of all the pigs raised in the U.S. are raised indoors for a variety of reasons. Um, but yeah, our, our farms were contract farms that um, individual farmers would own and, and they'd get paid for the caregiving of those animals and be responsible to make sure that they had food, water, and were checked on properly. So was it during this time then that the idea for every pig um, came to you? Yeah, it was. I I probably was about five years into that business where, like I mentioned, we had a lot of success growing the company, but I started to have a bit of um, uh, an epiphany, I guess you could call it, or a tug at my conscience where I didn't think we were doing enough to respond, to recognize and respond to animal health issues. And I, I didn't feel like many other companies out there were doing it either. And one of the biggest problems in the industry I noticed was around data collection. Most companies in the industry have caregivers filling out paper barn sheets where they're making observations on the animals every day, such as symptoms, mortalities, um, treatments that have gone into the pigs. And this information, which they call a, you know, a barn sheet, gets faxed or maybe driven into a centralized office at the end of the month where basically no one ever sees it and it gets filed away. So it's essentially worthless data. And as we scaled our company, uh, we weren't doing a better job of that than most other businesses. And I thought to myself, this is completely insane. These are practices straight out of the 1970s. And that's when I decided to um, create a company and an application that essentially digitized that daily checkup from the farm level and presented all that information in a useful way to field managers and veterinarians to start to make real-time remote diagnosis. And so you said that you had a bit of a moral concern around this, this health information not being clearer. What was that? Well, it was fun to grow a business, but really, you know, some of the biggest problems in the industry weren't being addressed, and that's simply responding to animal health issues. Most producers have little to no data on their production, and they're not responding to the health issues quick enough. And I saw that primarily as a data collection problem. So I really saw an opportunity to help move the industry forward at scale, which is what every pig's um, created for. Now, we do have farms that are raising pigs outdoors organically that are, that are using every pig. We do have large systems that are over a million and a half pigs a year. In fact, we've got systems that are about to start piloting with us that are raising over 10 million pigs a year. And we think that's great because we're trying to change things from inside the industry where it's at today. But back to your question on the, on the conscience side, I just felt like instead of owning more pigs and raising more pigs, I needed to start to use those resources and that knowledge to move the industry forward. And that's what we're focusing on at Every Pig. So I presume this feeds into potentially enabling producers to feed fewer antibiotics to their pigs, which is another big um, challenge for the industry. You know, not only is it a threat for human health, but I think consumers are now demanding 
antibiotic-free meat more than ever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've been in conversations with some large nonprofits that are very focused in this area around antimicrobial uh, resistance, and consumers all around the world, especially UK, from what um, I gather, but it, it, even in the US and other places, they're they're becoming more and more aware and sensitive to the antibiotics that are going into their food. So, at every pig, one of the things that we're very proud of in collaboration with one of our large um, systems that's using us, we created antibiotic tracking functionality. So we're one of the only platforms in the world that is tracking from the farm level. The farmer's telling us, the caregivers are telling us exactly what they're putting um, into the animals that become our food. And awareness is the first step to any change. So we're really proud of um, this functionality that we've rolled out. And because we do have this antibiotic tracking functionality, we've actually been able to help our users in two different situations last year recognize animals that had been recently given antibiotics but were scheduled to go to market the next day. Um, using our platform, they recognized those animals. They were able to cancel those loads from going to market um, saving uh, consumers from having antibiotics in their food supply and also saving our user what could have been potentially $3 million in fines um, for those violations. So antibiotics uh, tracking and usage and reduction is something that's um, really at the heart of what we're working on. So what are those violations then? I thought that, um, so does that mean that antibiotics are now banned or is it that the the animal must not be administered the antibiotics within a certain time frame of slaughter? The latter, yep. So um, each different kind of antibiotic, and I'm, I'm not going to dive too far down into the weeds because I'm, I'm not a veterinarian, but um, they do have, and different antibiotics have different withdrawal periods, meaning um, periods that it takes for those antibiotics to work itself out of the animal um, before it becomes meat. So for some antibiotics, that um, time frame is a little bit longer than others, but it's really important that producers pay attention to these, uh, which is why one of the reasons we show a warning to caregivers inside the application to make sure that they're aware of antibiotic withdrawal periods and not violating them. And do you see your any of your customers using your service to prove that the animals are antibiotic free and also thinking about, you know, there's increasing demand for no antibiotics ever. I know I look for that actually when I purchase my meat. Would there be a potential for every pig to become almost like a certification of that? That's something that we definitely envision in the future. And you would think common sense would tell you, yeah, companies must be using you for that. But the increased transparency in the industry gets fought very hard. Unfortunately, from what we found, most companies don't want to introduce any increased transparency unless they're forced to. And as you've probably seen, a lot of these antibiotic-free or organic programs are loosely monitored um, at best. And so um, we're a little disappointed at this point uh, as to how much the industry around the globe really wants to fight transparency. And, and I think it's something that's going to be more and more consumer and regulator driven if the meat companies don't want to become a little more proactive and listen to what the consumers are asking for. I went to a big pork facility in Iowa a couple of years back 
Um, and I can actually attest to the fact that a lot was on notepad. I remember the person showing us around, <laughs> showing off, oh, look, we've put detailed all of the vaccinations, et cetera, to this pig on this notepad here, ha hanging above its store. <laughs> and I remember thinking um, that that was insane. But I also spoke to people in the industry about technology. Obviously, that's what I cover. And it seemed that uh, there wasn't a huge amount of interest or there just really wasn't uh, much out there. Is that fair to say that technology is coming to the pork industry, you know, quite slowly? I would say historically it has been um, quite slow. So we launched every pig three and a half years ago. And I naively thought, okay, this is a, a product that the entire industry needs, which was true. But I thought they would embrace it a lot quicker. And what I underestimated, again, is the lack of transparency welcome in the industry, but also the resistance to change. You know, these are people um, raising our food. Oftentimes, most of the time, they're living a long ways from urban environments, and, and they're in environments where things don't change quickly. And a lot of them tend to take some pride in that. But I would argue um, a couple of things are happening. Consumers are waking up. They're demanding more information, which they rightly deserve. And also, technology is getting easier and easier to use. Uh, we have currently over 1,400 users that are using EveryPig. Uh, we've got seven different languages rolled out, and we have users in their teens to in their 70s that take on average less than 45 seconds to fill out a daily checkup inside our app. So I think there's a real educational process that needs to go on, uh, and we're really focusing on honing in our message to let these people know, hey, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to fill out a daily checkup on your smartphone. And over 70% of these people uh, in our experience, already have smartphones or at least access to a, compu a computer or um, a tablet to fill out this type of information. So it is slow to change, but we do feel a lot of momentum starting 2020. I think there might have been like a little bit of a, a philosophical or a mental shift for people too to realize, hey, we're in a whole new decade and maybe it's time uh, we either uh, adapt or we're going to be left behind. And I, I certainly think that's going to happen very quickly in agriculture in this decade. So looking at some of the other ag sectors that I cover, uh, namely cropping, but also dairy and beef, um, most particularly dairy, that, I, that even that notion of entering information into an iPad or an iPhone now feels a little bit um, older and uh, farmers have complained about, you know, the work that goes into that, a lot of double potential for double entry and so on with um, previous systems. So now you have newer technologies like computer vision or wearable sensors that are actually feeding that information more autonomously into these software platforms. Do you think that those technologies will come to the pork industry soon too? And is every pig ready for that? Absolutely. So I'm glad you brought that up. We actually have three artificially intelligent algorithms that have been working in every pig for, I think, somewhere around a year and a half already. You mentioned computer vision. We have um, what I understand is probably the world's largest database of high-resolution post-mortem photos of pigs. And we've had veterinarians tagging those images with diagnosis. Um, I think we have somewhere around 25,000 at this point. And we trained computer vision algorithms to be able to recognize somewhere around 25 different illnesses from pictures alone with a pretty high degree of certainty already. So 
that's something that's already happening inside of our platform. Um, I also think integrations, as uh, you kind of alluded to with sensors, are going to become more and more important. Um, we've already got integrations with a number of other software companies, but also uh, barn monitoring and controller companies. So we're capable of taking in temperature information inside of that barn, as well as water consumption. And these are things that have a pretty direct impact on pig health. So, uh, yeah, th this is something every pig's thought of and, and worked on and already has in, in our current application. And I think these things are going to become more and more important in the future. Now, currently in the United States, most of the pigs are not chipped or tagged on an individual level. My understanding is Europe's a little bit ahead of us um, in that regard. But I definitely see a day soon where most of this information doesn't need to be entered manually. It's being taken from sensors, either inside the barn and or a combination of um, sensors inside the pigs as well. So I have to say, when I went to visit that facility in Iowa, I was pretty upset by um, how the pigs were living. And, and now in this country, I look for the uh, pasture-raised label on the food, which, as you mentioned, is you know challenging to find considering it's only about 5% of production here. What do you think about um, predominantly outdoor systems? Are they scalable and would you look to a future where that was a bit more of the norm? So I don't have a lot of experience with outdoor systems. However, as I mentioned earlier, we do have customers that are raising pigs outdoors. And so we're getting to learn a little bit more um, about that. I'm really interested in scalable systems. So I think consumers seem to be increasingly wary of the idea of thousands of animals being raised inside one barn. The industry will push back and say, we're doing this because we need to keep the pigs warm. We need to keep them away from rodents. We need to um, keep them in a barn for biosecurity, for efficiencies, for a lot of other reasons. And those are, those are all true. Um, but I would really like to see more of a collaboration on redesigning these barns so they're more eco-friendly. Um, to the environment, but also a friendlier environment inside for the pigs and people that have to spend time there. I'm really interested on focusing on solutions, not problems, but I agree growing up as a kid, you know, I grew up in town, but my dad made me spend time in some of these barns. It was never a pleasant place for me to be either. I had allergies and they would always bother me in there. And I, I remember thinking, man, there's got to be a better way to do this. But I don't hear a lot of really smart people thinking about why don't we redesign these so these kick energy back to the grid using a combination maybe of wind, solar, and perhaps even methane um, and, and create an environment that's better for everyone. Now, they're also going to have to do that at a cost that makes sense to replace the current barns. And if they do that, I think the industry will have to jump on board. But I'd be really excited to be a part of that conversation or at least see it happening. Picking up on biosecurity, we can't talk about the pork industry in 2020 and not talk about African swine flu. What's the latest there? So African swine fever is something that definitely has the entire world on edge. My perspective um, is, def is primarily based in the United States because that's the most experience I have. But... I have had travels around the globe the last few years talking with producers all over the world about African swine fever. And, and countries, one country I do spend quite a bit of time in is Brazil, 
which also has a large pork production industry, um, they've really seen African swine fever as a big advantage for them because they're now exporting more meat to countries that have been hit with it, like China. Um, however, they're terribly afraid that African swine fever may spread over here. You know, you've probably seen some of the headlines coming out of China that African swine fever made a number of billionaires in China in the pork industry this year because the companies that were able to salvage their production, uh, my, my, my uh, experience has been that they've seen profits of somewhere around four to $500 per pig in China this year if they were able to get pigs to the market. So I think what we'll see coming out of this will be a major revolution in Chinese pork production in general. I think you're going to start to see a lot of these backyard producers, um, which was a large percentage of their total production, going away. And I think you're going to see rapid, rapid modernization and consolidation for the companies that are still left in the game. So will you be going out to China a lot more then with every pig? Potentially, but, you know, there are a couple of other diseases to worry about uh, on the human side, or at least one, the coronavirus is. Well, that's uh, true at the moment, that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's getting a lot of attention. Um, but yeah, we have had talks. Uh, I've been contacted by people in China. Um, one thing that stuck out to me is how interested they were in the artificial intelligence. Their thinking around AI is um, many years ahead of most of the producers I've spoken to anywhere else in the world. And that was a real wake up call for me. But on the biosecurity side, that's another thing we're battling here in the US is every pig is a telemedicine platform. So these photos and videos uh, and information coming in from the farm are presented to veterinarians uh, on a screen that looks and acts kind of like a Facebook news feed um, where they're making diagnosis remotely. And one of the reasons that it's not spread faster is because of regulation around telemedicine or a lack of real clear right to practice telemedicine by veterinarians. But it's a much faster and much more biosecure uh, and biosecure practice. And I think it's something that regulators, at least in the U.S., need to start taking a look at giving this to veterinarians as a clear legal tool that they can use to offer better customer service and stay more biosecure when they're practicing veterinary medicine. So I touched on it at the beginning of our conversation. But what do you think about the meat alternative uh, startups and businesses that are, you know, increasingly getting consumer attention and there are lines outside Burger King to get the, you know, impossible burger and now there's a pork product. You know, what, what do you think and what do your clients think? Are they nervous? I don't hear a lot of companies extremely nervous about it yet. You can look at companies like Tyson Foods um, that's already started investing, and I'm sure they're not alone. They've already started investing in some of these alternative meat products. Uh, I've tried some of the burgers. I don't think the product's quite there yet. I applaud innovation, so I, I, I don't want to. I don't discourage companies from trying to do that. But I think we're going to have a meat industry that's a traditional meat industry that's around for a long time, and I think there's a lot of room for improvement um, in that traditional industry. And it, it needs to be, um, it needs to be worked on. And that's really where we're going to stay focused for a while. So to finish off one big question, and it doesn't have to be related to, uh, the pork industry, but if you had a moonshot idea for something that would improve the food system, what would it be? I wasn't prepared for this one. I, I like it. It's a great question though. I think a couple of things, I really would like to get into redesigning the barns 
to be environments that consumers are more comfortable with, animals are much more comfortable in, and um, they might be doing something positive for the environment. I think that's going to be big, and I think it, it needs to be financially incentivized. Otherwise, it's not going to scale. But I also think things like drone deliveries of medications um, out to these farms are going to become a reality in the next few years as well. So I think that's kind of an exciting space to look into. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Chris. It's been great to have you on. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for having me. You've been listening to Future Food with me, Louisa Burwood-Taylor. For news and insights on the food tech and ag tech industries, go to agfundernews.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review.